Greetings all, and thanks for tuning into the Winning Edge Investments podcast once again. My name is Mark Haywood, and today we're bringing you another feature Q&A with a Winning Edge Investments expert analyst, and we'll be chatting to John Lawson, who runs the John's Analytics Service. He's one analyst that is not your typical form student, and he, he doesn't have a typical pro punter's background, so it'll be interesting to hear from him and his approach to the game. My guest on today's podcast is John, who is the expert analyst behind the John's Analytics Service at Winning Edge Investments. How you going, John? Not bad, Mark. Yeah, good. I just wanted to start out. Did you just want to give us a, um, a bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, thanks, Mark. I'm a IT and science guy from way back. I uh, left uni in my final year and set up an IT business in Canberra in uh, the mid-80s, uh, and that uh, quickly became very successful. Uh, and I grew that company, uh, bought another company along the way, built a bigger company, and eventually sold that to the Australian arm of a, of a big American concern. Uh, worked for them for a couple of years before joining um, one of Australia's largest IT system integrators, spent five years with them, had a, had a successful corporate career uh, before um, deciding that uh, the call of racing was too strong, and and uh, here I am now. So professionally, uh, definitely a different background to um, a lot of the other analysts. Um, were you always into racing as, as a hobby on the side before it became a career, I guess? It, uh, my my, uh, my very, very first bet, um, if you can call it that, was... In first form, in year seven, uh, yeah. when I drew think when I drew think big in the sweep in the 1975 Melbourne Cup, which uh, which dates me somewhat, and uh, people bagged me of course uh, before the race because he'd uh, won the previous year, was up and weighed and wasn't in cup, you know, didn't look to be in cup winning form, but uh, but I got the chocolates with that one. But it wasn't until um, I attended a race meeting at Flemington. Uh, first time I've been to the races when I was about 15, that I really, really caught the racing bug. Um, I won that day too, so uh, so you know the old, the old racing gods—they play a long, slow game just to just to get you in, don't they? So you have been punting for a long time. Uh, were you always a, a successful punter? I don't think anyone's uh, always been a successful punter, uh, Mark. Um, mm. and, and also, you know, my work career, when, when you run your own business, you're, you're pretty time poor. Uh, my work career meant that my punting was restricted to weekends and mainly Saturdays, um, and I was far from a successful punter. Um, uh, I did have my entire bankroll on uh, Kingston Town in his um, Kingston Town can't win Cox Plate. Mm. So, uh, so that one always sticks in the memory. But the transition to, um, uh, you know, sort of the successful punter didn't happen until about 10 years ago. Um, and the story is probably worth just going through because it, gives, it just shows how some of these things comes, come about. Yep. But um, I used to be on, a, on a, a member of a popular racing forum and every so often a fight would break out as to which was more important, uh, pot percent, profit on turnover percent, or profit dollars. That is the absolute amount of dollars that you're making on a bet. Mm-hmm. I was on the profit percent side, the pot side, as were uh, the large majority of the of the combatants. 
Um, and back then, um, like I was naive, naive enough to believe that I could uh, develop a system that achieved a 40% strike rate and 40% pot. I remember writing that. Um, so it was, uh, it's pretty funny, actually, when, when I look back, when I look back uh, with what I know now, um, that I could even think of such a thing. But uh, anyway, I must have had a particularly bad Saturday or something. Uh, and it's sort of, a, I guess, a come-to-Jesus moment where, you know, I enjoyed betting, but I realised that um, in order to keep doing it, I had to become a long-term winner. Um, and at the same time, the, the pot percent versus profit dollars argument had uh, reignited on the forum. And uh, given my state of mind and re- you know, reading the, uh, the, the post with sort of, I guess, a different, uh, different uh, look at things, I had a bit of an epiphany in that I realised that the one full-time professional punter in the fight was on the profit dollar side. And all the people on the pot percent side were people like me who were enthusiasts who knew more than the average, um, you know, tad punter, knew a lot of history, might have owned horses, I might have done staking plans, might have loved it on a work, but they were never going to make it as successful punters. Right. Um, so I approached that pro punter and asked a few questions, even, even though I'd been hammering him on the, uh, on the, uh, during the fights, right? So I approached him and asked a few questions, and he was kind enough to answer and he became uh, my my mentor uh, mm. in that he showed me what was possible. So I'd, I'd ask him questions, you know, um, what do I, the very first question I asked Mark was, um, you know, what strike rate does your top rate and horse achieve and, and what, you know, profit or loss does it achieve? And he told me. So I knew that I had to get to that point to, um, to, to build a platform. So if I was at that point, then, then I'd be able to work out how, how to be profitable. Um, so from there, I sat down, applied my maths and stats and programming skills, and developed my own rating, uh, which took about a year uh, to get that to the point where it needed to be, um, and and you know, sort of been onward and upward from there. Yeah, good. And uh, just mentioning you, uh, I guess you you leaned on your IT and programming background to to come up with your your philosophy, if you like. Um, did you want to tell us a, a bit more about that? I guess how you actually put together ratings and um, identified your your bets? Yeah, sure. So, um, I, Mark, I maintain a, a large database, um, mm-hmm. and it brings in data from a variety of sources. So so it's not just, you know, you know downloading AAP form or something and, and, and using that. Um, so it brings in data from, from a whole heap of sources. It then adds my own IP uh, including my race rating, my jockey rating, my speed maps, my race pace, and a variety of other factors that uh, that I've developed uh, in order to give myself an edge. Uh, from there, it's a matter of identifying those runners that represent value above a certain threshold, um, uh, which I'm sure is pretty much the same way that a lot of successful funders go about it. One thing that stood out to me when I was having a bit of a read is you actually got a, a PhD data scientist to, to look over your database. Um, to help identify any uh, edges and bets. How did that come about, and I guess how did the process work? So, um, uh, Mark, anyone who works with mainly databases and and models um, uh, and things like I do, and, and uh, I'm sure I'm not unique in in uh, the betting market. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these people who have even a small amount of maths and stats ability, uh, you're going to be able to find an edge that can beat the public. Um, however, the public isn't the enemy. The enemy is uh, other guys like me with databases and models, um, you know, and people like Jelko and, and uh, you know, the big guys, uh, Sean and Kingsley, who are running, running the numbers, and, and also corporate bookies that, uh, that are also crunching numbers um, and, and um, look, looking for the edges from, you know, from corporate bookie point of view, obviously shorten the prices up. So over time, what happens is the edge will dissipate uh, to the point that it becomes unviable. And a lot of the work that, that people like me do is just sitting on the, you know, edge creation uh, treadmill, just just trudging along trying, trying to find edges. So, so I understood um, for quite a little while that the next step forward would be to use uh, data science techniques um, uh, and that that would potentially take me to a, you know, a whole new level. And from there, I could either uh, learn how to do it myself um, which would take a long time, uh, or, outs- or outsource it to a competent uh, data scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was under the impression that I could just give a sample of my data to any old data scientist uh, that was trained in Python and R, uh, you know, who worked as a data scientist. Yep. Uh, and they could then weave their magic and produce, produce what I was looking for. Mm. <laughs> and that turned out to be a completely wrong assumption. The first guy I gave the data to couldn't find any advantage at all. Hmm. Uh, so this guy is a, is a professional full-time data scientist. The next couple, couple couldn't even find the advantage that I already had, so they couldn't even match what I did. Yep. And um, I ended um, that phase of the search, you know, quite jaded by the experience because it's taken a lot of time. Um, and uh, and you know, sort of, I felt like I'd gone backwards, right? Or was you know searching for the source of the null sort of thing, but mm. um, some months later, um, a friend recommended a mate of his who worked as a data scientist, uh, and uh, that guy had worked as a quant for a large investment firm. Um, yep. So I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose. Uh, I'll, I'll have a crack and uh, and uh, see what he can do. Um, and I met up with him, and he was just from the moment I met him, I knew he was. Um, just in a different category of data scientist, much sharper guy, uh, understood um, a lot more about it. Um, his his quantity experience was actually um, a disadvantage. Um, mm. So um, so uh, so because he had some fixed ideas about um, about how investment works, um, and uh, funnily enough, uh, Mark, the first model he gave me was based on. Um, uh, based on uh, the price going up, because in in markets, of course, you want to buy at ten and sell at fifteen. <laughs> in, in horse racing, it's, it's the other way around. Mm. So that was pretty funny. Yeah, interesting. Um, and in terms of your model, is you mentioned you get data from a lot of different sources. Is there any real key areas of form analysis that it concentrates on, or is it just, I guess, more just driven purely by trends? Yeah, that's right, uh, Mark. I don't do any form analysis at all in the traditional sense of sitting down and analysing a race. You know, in fact, um, I couldn't even tell you the name of the horses I back because um, my program just spits the best out, and and I just sit here and you know, like on a on a Saturday, I'll be 
I'll, I'll back over 100 horses. It takes me, it takes me, you know, two to three hours to get them all on with all the minimum bet laws um, yep. and things. I'm splitting things across um, across um, various bookies and doing what you have to do to, to get the bets on. So it takes forever to, to get them on. Um, and um, uh, so, so what I do is I is I do the analysis on different variables, looking to create edges, um, and that's a time-consuming process. But of course, it pays dividends. With with, with my new uh, data scientist, um, I can now create something that looks like an edge, feed it into uh, the model, and he'll actually determine whether. Um, yeah, uh, what its weight is in terms of uh, of other of other variables um, yep. that, that we use. Um, so I can't sort of say where 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 the biggest edges are, of course, but I can say uh, one that might interest people is that there's a variable that a lot of people place a lot of story in, and and, and you'll hear a lot of commentators talk about it, uh, and that is last start starting price. Yep. And um, uh, people always, if you ask, you know, people always say last start starting price is, uh, um, you know, the most important starting starting point, most important variable. Uh, on my on my variables, it's not even in the top forty. Um, yeah, right. I think that I think that uh, probably what's happened, Mark, is that over time, you know, guys like me, particularly that, like not guys like me, but guys like Jelko and and all those big guys have just um, have just you know. They got other parameters that are that are more powerful now than last IDSP, and and last IDSP is is like a jockey rating. Um, it's an important component, but all it really does is is uh, equalise you with the good guys in the market. If you don't have it, you're at a disadvantage. If you do have it, you're squared up with uh, with your competitors in the market. Um, and last IDSP seems to become like that. Yeah, and one thing that it would seem that your your approach is allowed is your service does cover racing right across Australia. Um, is that purely as a result of the, um, I guess, the system-based nature of it and you're able to cover a wide range of racing? Yeah, that's right, Mark. You know, I have a big database that downloads uh, all all the data for um, all TAB meetings held in Australia and New Zealand. So for me, it's just a matter of keeping the database up to date uh, running the programs, um, you know, the key jockey ratings up to date, um, and then you know, just going through the uh, selection process. There's a, there's a series of um, programs I run in the morning that, that create the selections, and um, so from a, from a morning point of view, it's actually all, all, all automated um, across across all of Australia and New Zealand. Hmm. And are there any areas of Australia from your results that you're you're more successful or less successful? Uh, they're all going pretty well at the moment, um, uh, but I think what, what you'll find, and you know, I'll make the same statement as uh, other handicappers will, will make, is that metropolitan races margins are much smaller, and it's harder to win at metro than uh, provincial or and country uh, tracks. Um, I, I deal with that by having higher thresholds for metro races than provincial or country, so you just think of a threshold as being like a bigger overlay. Um, that, that does result in fewer bets on metro races, um, uh, and it also does negatively impact your strike rate because a bigger uh, overlay uh, mark implies that you're, you're dealing with a, a longer price horse. 
so you do have to watch your uh, bank management uh, yep. from that, from that regard. But um, well, I'm working on my model to improve uh, my metro metro stuff at the moment. Mm. And in terms of time management, you're doing this full time now and have been for some time. Uh, what takes up most of your time, I guess, at the moment, in terms of uh, preparing and betting? Uh, it's just uh, as, I, as I said, um, Mark, it's just nearly all of my time is spent on database interrogation and just looking to create variables to give me an edge. So, so you know, um, um, you know, I do maths and stats and, and do my own programming. I'm only a, a hack programmer, um, but really, my greatest strength is um, uh, is logic. So, um, so I use my logic skills to um, sort of relate things that don't look relatable um, uh, and create a piece of IP that gives me an edge that I can then that, that I can then put a weighting against. Um, it's just a long, long, slow process. So that's where I spend my time. Sure. And, and looking at uh, the John Anal- John's Analytics Service that you're providing for, for Winning Edge members, you just want to tell us a bit about that, I guess, uh, the types of bets you have. How many bets you typically have? The the bank you recommend? How much you typically bet? Yeah, sure. I, um, so, so John's Analytics, uh, I send bets out uh, in line with the minimum bet law times. So um, there's a set that goes out just before 9am, uh, and it should arrive in uh, people's inboxes uh, or on the site uh, right on 9am uh, for those places where 9am is the is the minimum bet law. Uh, Queensland during daylight savings, I send a set out at uh, 10 a.m. And then uh, uh, places where uh, there is no minimum bet law, I just send them out when uh, scratchings and and prices come through. So, um, so you know, Western Australia at the moment is during daylight savings is is 11:30, so I send them out around there. Um, yep. Other, you know, the night the night meetings are, are at 2 p.m. So, um, so, so I send them out, out at around 2 p.m. for a Canterbury night meeting, for example. Um, we average uh, we average four to six bets a day. Most most of the bets are a half unit to win, uh, one unit to place, uh, and then as the as the odds go up, it, it can get down to like if I tip one of dollars, it'll be 0.05 uh, units to win and, and 0.1 unit to place. So I'm adding twice as many units to place mm-hmm. as the win. Um, yep. And uh, as with other um, winning edge products, I use a hundred unit bank. Um, and since September 1, uh, we've made nearly 200 units at a handy 22%, so things are going along pretty well. Um, and since we opened it up to uh, many more members on 1st of January, where um, uh, we've made um, 78 units at, at 32%, so long, long may we keep going like that. Yeah, fantastic. And um, just in those recent results, there's some... Quite uh, long price winners. Um, just looking through them: Log Knife, sixty-seven dollars; Crossbearer, thirty-one dollars; Our Lucky Lucy, twenty-seven dollars; uh, Preferred Root, Dutch Girl, twenty-four dollars. Uh, is there something in your approach you think that allows you to find these big price winners that perhaps people taking a different approach miss? The whole point of what I do is finding things that other people miss, particularly the market. Mm. Um, so uh, you know. And, and I don't really find them, of course, right? My, my rating to my program does. So it's all, you know, it's all my IP uh, mm-hmm. that finds them. But if, if you say to me, how did we find long knife? I would actually have to delve into which particular factors 
um, on that runner produced produced the selection. I think it, it, I think just from memory, it came in quite a long way too long enough, didn't it? Didn't it come into sixteen or twelve or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, like like it, it came right in. Is a is a big go that one, and uh, I think it led all the way at uh, Western Australia there. Um, so the the thing that uh, Mason Slakeson is that they're um, you know just significantly mispriced against my, my rated price. So uh, so that's the that's the key point. Yeah, and with your betting, do you typically bet um, early, right at nine a.m. or later, towards the um, like closer to the jump? I uh, um, I always bet early, Mark. That's, mm. that's where the greatest advantage is. Um, so, sometimes I will. Sometimes you know there'll be uh, maybe one or two or three times a week there'll be a horse that is um, it's just horribly mispriced. Yep. Um, you know, it'll be it'll be twenty six. You know, I've got it rated four, and so I'll just load up with every bookie I can um, um, on uh, with you know just load up with every bookie to the limits that I can in the morning, and then at um, at uh, race time I'll just lay off on bets here because um, it'll be in it'll be in from that twenty six. You know, if I've got a four. And, you know, uh, the good. Uh, I've got a reliability figure that I calculate, and, and the reliability figure is above a certain threshold, then it's it's coming in, and yeah. um, and I can lay off on lay off on Betfair, and yeah, I might. Now you're going to get it wrong, but you know, you just pay the fine on Betfair and and get out of the bet. But um, but most of the time they come in, so I can. Uh, so it's just an easy easy win there. Yep. But that's the only late betting I do. One question that um, I know a lot of punters ask is. Uh, you've obviously developed quite a, a successful system. Um, what do you, I guess, choose to to sell your services to punters as opposed to purely just doing your own betting? It's um, uh, you know, I'm I'm doing the work to produce elections anyway, so uh, so it makes sense to maximise the revenue generated by selling them, and particularly when you know you've got the minimum bet laws. Um, like, you know, it does it does add some some income uh, in an environment where you actually can't get on as much as, as you want to get on. Yeah. Uh, that that's point one. Point two is point two is that uh, John's Analytics is a very small subset of my own betting. Um, yep. So so I'm not so it, 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 so those selections are are the pointy end. They're the really sharp end. They're the best selections out of my entire set. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they go to subscribers and they have to they have to meet meet certain criteria, um, yep. uh, and as, as I said, you know, you know, I backed a hundred and something horses on on Saturday. And I think subscribers we had eight or ten, sure. um, so it, so it's a subset, right? Uh, so it's not as if I'm selling the, selling the whole farm. Uh, mm. Another thing it does too, selling public selections, it helps handicappers maintain discipline. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting judged on a day-to-day basis, so uh, so in terms of just uh, keeping your focus, um, you know, there's nothing like a, a slew of uh, cranky emails about <laughs> some topic or other <laughs> to uh, to keep your focus. So uh, so it does actually have a a discipline uh, effect as well. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. And in terms of bookmakers, you touched on them quickly. Is there any in particular that you find uh, better than others, or that I guess are a must-have? Uh, 
Uh, I think uh, people's experience is going to be different uh, different here because um, uh, you know um, you can you can win you can win three days in a row with one one bookie and lose you know three days in a row with with ten other bookies right and that one bookie thinks hey this guy goes all right you know so uh, and they might and they might chop you even though you've had three losing days so mm-hmm. so so people's experience is different but. You know, if you can get on and bet with Bet365, then they've got, you know, typically the best uh, the best prices. Um, uh, Sportsbet uh, uh, is also uh, quite good price-wise. Um, just at the moment, I'd recommend uh, Top Sport. Um, they, you know, with the with Tab buying New Bet, with uh, other uh, mergers taking place, uh, with some weakening uh, among the other bookies. Um, you know, uh, they they I think have seen a real market opportunity, yep. you know, having a, a proper crack in the market. So so they actually take the biggest bets from me, um, yep. and they have good pricing as well, right? So I would encourage everyone to have a have a top sport bet, a top a top sport account. And do you use odds comparison yourself? Yeah, I do. I just use dynamic odds. Um, I've used it for. Quite a few years. Um, I understand there's quite a few free products out there as well that you can use. I think Punners.com has one, mm-hmm. um, but I just use uh, Dynamic Odds. Yeah, sure. Yes, finally, um, you've been, as you said earlier, you've been watching racing and betting on racing for um, definitely much of your adult life. Uh, have you got any thoughts on the racing industry and what it needs to do in order to stay relevant? Uh, you know, Mark, if, if I was a young person coming into the game, you know, and you, and you see racing, you think that looks pretty good, you know, uh, and then and then you watch Sky Channel, I think something that would really put me off is how much focus there is on breeding. Yep. Um, I think that's a result of breeders having too much say, say in the game. You know, P- putting breeders in charge of racing is like putting doll recipients in charge of Centrelink. It's just <laughs> completely off about completely asked about it. What, what the industry needs to do is focus on on the people that actually provide the money, which is the yep. punters. Um, you know, it, it's promoting the fun and challenge of, of backing a winner. And, and, you know, to be fair, you know, the, the tab ads uh, do do that uh, in, in a lot of a lot of days. But they, you know, Sky and, and Racing.com and these other outlets should be providing better uh, betting information, um you know, uh, learning, you know, how-to programs on handicapping, staking, you know, uh, looking at horses, uh, as well as interviews with successful punters, uh, mm. just to inspire young people as to, uh, you know, as to what's possible. You know, if mm. you, if you have, if you have, uh, you know, every week, you know, there's a, there's a successful punter telling their story, then people say, gee, I, I relate to, uh, you know, that person when he was 20. Maybe he was 20 as a hopeless punter. And now he's yeah. 40, he's a really successful guy. Um, so, so therefore, it, it shows people that you can, be a, you can be hopeless and drinking and doing whatever the heck and not taking any notice. Um, but just having a bit of wherewithal and a bit of discipline, you can, you, can get to, uh, you can get to a great place and have a lot of fun doing it. So, so I, think the, I think the game is really in the wrong hands at the moment. Mm, absolutely. Um, that's probably us for today, so... Thanks for your time today, John. Um, And, yeah, we look forward to having a chat to you again soon. No worries, Mark. Thanks for that.
So that is today's episode. Hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, if you enjoyed it, then subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. And you'll also find Winning Edge Investments on all the usual social media channels. John himself is on Twitter at John's underscore analytics, so you can hit him up there. And, of course, any more information is available at winningedgeinvestments.com.au. So until next time, my name's Mark Haywood. Thanks for listening. <laughs>